the competitive 40k network presents art of war art of war strategy and tactics discussions with the best players on the planet now your host nick nanavani Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Art of War podcast. I'm your host, Nick Nanavati, and this week I'm joined all the way from Germany by my good friend, Calvin Kirschbaumer. Calvin's yes. a great friend. I got the pronunciation. Dude. <laughs> Hell yeah. Calvin's a great friend. He is the former captain of the German WTC team, or coach, and he is uh, an excellent member of the community. I've seen him just developing the community over in Germany, now coming over across the states, and he's got a real passion, not just for the community, but also for the rules of the game. Usually on this show, we end up getting top-level competitors, people who win tournaments, talking about like how they do that and how they get better at 40K and how what, what works for them. Calvin, he's great at Warhammer, don't get me wrong, but he's also great at a lot of things that most Warhammer players maybe are not. The technical minutiae to the rules, learning and breaking down a new addition to the infinite finite scale, and also really just he's a great dude. So today we're going to do a two-part show. Part one, we're going to get to know Calvin, we're going to get to understand how what his role in the community is and how he serves the Warhammer community as a large, and also like what judging Warhammer is like, what the rules for 10th edition seem like, is it a good rule set from a judging perspective? perspective a bad one how can we improve upon it what are some fun little rules and directions he's come up with and then in part two calvin with his perspective as a judge a coach of germany all that stuff and my perspective as a competitive player and 40k coach we're going to try to map out this meta so part two is only going to be for subscribers on our patreon you can join our patreon on aow40k.com it'll get you access to part two of all of our podcast episodes this is episode 194 that's right you can get 194 other episodes with this along with a new episode every single week and as soon as we start getting tournaments and things like that back and rolling we will get back to our normal show format where we break down uh, the winning lists and whatnot in the interim, though, you're going to get access to not just those Patreon episodes, but you're also going to get access to our amazing Art of War Discord server, where you can literally see messages by the second about 10th edition. You know, new ideas forming constantly right now. It's a super exciting time to get into competitive Warhammer, or just learn more about Warhammer and become your best. So check out check it out on Patreon. Calvin, how are you doing today? Well, that was a hell of an introduction, and now my German-ish slash English accent comes through. <laughs> Yours was really, really smooth, but uh, thank you very much uh, on having me on this show. I was really looking forward as uh, you sent me that message. I'm glad. I was trying to figure out what I want to do for the show this week, because it's like, hmm, there's no tournaments, a new edition just <laughs> came out, my usual format kind of doesn't exist right now, yep. but you know what? I've had such a great time talking with you at the various U.S. Opens and WTC that we've met each other in person. Right. I figured, why not come and bring you on the show? That's that's super awesome. Yeah, we met we met kind of a lot in the last few occasions, right? Yeah. And fun fact about Calvin, before we get too deep into the 40k world, he's also a magician. Literally, the man <laughs> pulls cards out of his out of his hats and stuff. <laughs> that's true, but actually, yeah. It is true, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't just make that up. <laughs> Calvin, tell me a little bit about yourself. How did, give me some background. Who is Calvin Kirschbaumer, and how did you get into Warhammer? Yeah, so Cal Calvin, uh, or goes by the nickname Lim in the internet and on his jerseys. Um, I am. So, how did I get into Warhammer? I think is because I've got the, the British nationality, and my auntie or my nan can't remember brought us over the second edition of Warhammer, forty k. So me and my brother, we had that when we were really little. 
And it was an on-off development uh, with the game. It's uh, up till, I would say, 5th or 6th edition. Kind of just randomly bought miniatures and had some fun playing across uh, the tables or on the floor like everybody in his childhood did. And I think when 8th edition was hitting quite the end, I said, well, okay, on my bucket list, there is, before I get 40, I want to visit one tournament. That's how how it actually started. That was 2019, which is not that long ago. And then I visited my first tournament. I had a coaching with you, actually, that I won. Uh, and you were preparing me with Richard together playing Sisters. And then I experienced my first tournament and I was like, wow, this isn't as bad as I thought it would be. You meet great people and you have a good time. You, you enjoy the hobby you all do. Everyone you're talking to, you've got some kind of connection, either it's the models, the painting, the play style or whatever. Um, and yeah, after the first tournament, I just got in the in the circle of 40k and i couldn't get rid of uh i enjoyed it so much i visited the next one and the next one and then i tr uh, try to really dig down into what is um what is the passion in this hobby for me and it came out that it's actually the the rules perspective because i love it maybe it's the german side in me that everything is corrected and and everything is straightened out and super you know it has to be efficient <laughs> and no, no overlaps and rules and it has to be like it, it there's no discussion this is the rule this is how it's going to be um that, especially with the rules that's probably why you're such an excellent judge i know i know right <laughs> and as soon as i fi find a rule i just message justin curtis and i'm like justin come on let's have a little fight here and uh, then we go on and <laughs> off. And it's really, really fun. Know, Justin Curtis is the head judge of the U.S. Open Games Workshop series. So I can just imagine Calvin just messaging Justin. Justin's nocturnal, so they, these two can have conversations at like whatever o'clock at night. Just a yes. big rules minutiae that no one even has thought of ever. It is so funny because the first time I met Justin was at the GW Albuquerque. Was it Albuquerque? Uh, the Grand yeah. Narrative That's 2022. Yeah. That was the first time. Um, and we, <laughs> we met up and they said, Hey, you're Calvin. Yeah. You're Justin. Yeah. Oh, I've got an interesting rules question. And from there on, we were like, let's go. <laughs> um, that was pretty funny. And since the grand narrative, I came closer to games workshop, um, working a little bit with them, um, on rules, on events, on just in community work in general, um, I, I always uh, give myself the title a friend of Games Workshop, they sometimes call, uh, which kind of works the best. And they sometimes uh, ask me if I want to come by for a tournament and judge with them or for them. Um, and I super enjoy that. So that's yeah, basically the short version of how I just skyrocketed from my first 30 people tournament into hey you're flying to the usa to judge 400 people playing a game <laughs> well, I, I feel like we skipped a couple steps there so yes <laughs> i, I want to just break it down a little bit more and i think it's an awesome story so you you're like a casual 100 player yeah as all of us start believe it or not so those people who still haven't gone to tournaments calvin is a living breathing example of like he went to one and got a good case of the funds and you know he came back for more so that's awesome to hear when you it's quite the transition, though, right? So, like, you go into a 30-person tournament in Germany, 
and you're you probably didn't win that one and you had a good time so you went back for another one how did how does that trajectory put you onto a path that then makes you the coach of the german wtc team fall leading up to a judge for <laughs> shop across the pond in america at their world series finale <laughs> yes um it, it is some kind of a of a weird story and everything clicked together i it, all in all i was really really lucky to say that that first um my first tournament i went two and one uh placed seventh uh, my second tournament, I went three and zero, and um, the next couple of tournaments, they were really successful for me. I attended uh, big tournaments, international tournaments. There was one tournament called the Warp Hammer Championship. It was a global tournament, um, and I was playing quite well to a point where I thought, well, I think I got the hand out of it. I'm gonna continue. Um, so after performing in the, uh, Warhammer championship, and I think I placed third or second or something, I, I lost to Liam Vessel, who's an excellent Belgian player. Um, and other than I had a superb 11 rounds or something, um, all with sisters, of course, because they are the best. Um, and that was at the end of 2019, 2020. Um, it was all online because, no, it was 2020 to 21 because it was all online due to Corona. And then there was the Greek Hammer um, WTC-ish side event. So it was a team tournament with eight players because the WTC couldn't um, uh, take place because of Corona. So the Greek Hammer was there and the former captain asked me if I want to join them because they saw that I'm actually quite okay in the game. Um, so I attended a team tournament, which was quite big, actually. And um, we won that one. So Team Germany won the Greek Hammer Championship. They had a, quite a lot of teams, if I remember correctly. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, thank you. So so we're actually the, the world champions in, in TTS. <laughs> Since then, there hasn't the been world any champions, champions. TTS. <laughs> <laughs> and after that, um, I connected with other people who play at a really high competitive level. And more and more, I just slipped into the, like the inner circles and stuff you know every community has like the inner circle stuff and um talking to them evolving my own gameplay playing like five to ten games um a week that was that was quite exhausting but it was just it was like a drug and if i rewind a little bit to after my second tournament where i went three and oh a German YouTube channel called Kings of the Hill, they contacted me uh, for an interview. And we had so much fun in that interview um, because they wanted to have the perspective of a newcomer going to a tournament, just sharing their experience that this is not just everything is elbow business and uh, it's, it's a super experience and they wanted me to talk about it, so I did. And I really enjoyed that with them um, and asked if I could join them. Uh, Kings of the Hill on YouTube, and they did. And since then, I'm also producing podcasts and videos, and that everything clicked and, yeah, somehow worked together that my reputation just went up and up and up and was really working hard for it. 
um, because I love the community. I love standing in for the community. And so the WTC voting process came in 2022 and they asked me if I want to join the voting process. So I did. And as soon as the team was selected, they said, OK, you, you did such a good job. You're working with us tight. We want to have you as a captain, a non-playing captain. Um, you, you're taking care of the organization and all of that. And it went really smoothly. Um, 2022, we placed third place, which was just absolutely amazing. Um, beating your, yeah, 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 it was really, really close. And the finals, actually, you and me playing the sisters with Eldari uh, match up in the final round because our two players weren't able to anymore. <laughs> it's quite fun ending, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that was a close call. We just beat you by the hair. Um, it was a lovely experience. I never want to miss WTC again. So many people there. It's, it's, it's a lifetime experience. Um, was that your first yeah, that was my first WTC, yeah. Yeah, it's such an amazing time. So even if you don't make the national team for whatever country you're representing, I do have an enormous singles event, the World Singles Championship, basically. Um, and that's that's amazing to go play, and you get to play against people you will literally never have the opportunity to play against from all different countries. And then just hanging out and being in the atmosphere of WTC is oh, cool yeah, experience. It's yeah, like the pinnacle of what you can achieve in 40K. Well, that's true. So after the event, um, because being in the team helps you as well, get your name out there. Um, uh, we started a new Discord group only for German TOs. So to align more and more with rules, with, you know, um, how should stuff be uh, done at a tournament and this and that. And we really formed a group trying to bring everything into order, uh, as Germans like to do. Um, and there was one moment um, that kicked in when we had the leak of the Votan book. Um, I had a, we decided not to use the book um, at a couple of events. And I announced that one on my stream and Reddit and other channels went mental and changed the story into uh, Germany bans Votan completely and stuff like that, just clickbait messages. Um, but it went so viral that I took down my stream because I was contacted by uh, a couple of people that wanted to talk, which actually brought me in because Games Workshop wanted to hear our opinion. So that was actually a good thing. We weren't um, on the side to say, hey, we, we want to ban that book and we don't care. We just wanted to send one message. This is not like a technique we want to use now to say, hey, either you give me that or... I'm not going to play with you anymore. That's that. That wasn't the case. We just wanted to send one message, uh, which happened to be successful. And Games Workshop came and said, "Okay, we we want to have more talks, more input um, regarding the German community, what is going on in the community." And I was just the lucky person um, to be there at the right moment. And then they invited us to the New Mexico event where we uh, met again. And after the New Mexico event, where I think Neil and um, Tom Adriani uh, saw me in action, I, I, I kind of think that was the moment when it kicked in. Um, Neil and me, Tom are both WTC, like Tom is the, the runner, the organizer of WTC, and Neil is the former head judge for that entire event as well. So these are like some, some nice people to have in your good graces. 
Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So they, they invited me into a drink and asked me if I want to take over the WTC rules, um, as well as Jay from Mohawk Miniatures, uh, that you all know out there because he was painting with John Lennon here on the show. Um, he he's now the head uh, referee for the WTC, and I'm helping him with the WTC FAQ, uh, bringing all the information together and do the German stuff in the background, basically. Um, so now uh, my yeah, I'd, <laughs> uh, now I'm in charge for WTC. I'm helping them out. I'm with the GW events. Uh, lastly, I was at the Kansas City event. That was just three weeks ago Come on, four weeks for you yeah is, is warhammer your job or do you somehow find time to do uh, all I, I do have a normal job but um yeah it, it allows me somehow to make up room for warhammer so everything else in my spare time just goes into my head for warhammer 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 I really um, get that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, your, your life is Warhammer. But basically, it would be a dream to do full-time Warhammer. So, hey, Games Workshop out there. Um, <laughs> uh, it, would be, it would be nice. Um, I don't know what, what change if that would be the case. If you could go on as you do, like running events and attending events. Um, now I want to be at the LGT. That's my next event. I applied uh, to be head judge over there with um, Zach Addington, uh, Zach Becker, running these events. I asked him if the position is open. Um, so yeah, that, that, I'm collecting now events. Collecting events. <laughs> to, you just want to be the TO for the world. I want to be the. I want to be the head judge of the world. I mean, world. there's not a lot of competition for that. No, there's not in the yeah. community. Like that is, judging that is, is such true. a thankless job. Like, why do you love it? I don't know. It's just, it's like, you know, when you, some people out there in the morning, they have their coffee and open up the newspaper to, to just do their crossword puzzles. And I just happen to love the rules questions. So is this and this interaction possible? And you come across an interaction where you're like, wait a second, I never thought of that. Let me check all the sources I have and gather everything together. And when I really cannot answer it, I'm actually happy to have something i can send off to games workshop and say hey i've got something this is i think a case that's not working it's, it's like a sudoku game or crosswords for me i mean to each their own I, like i can't knock anyone's ability to have fun i sit here playing with toy soldiers and have done that for 20 years so <laughs> uh, yeah so i want to transition this conversation a little bit and talk more about 10th edition and like your relationship with it as this judge for a brand new rule set with brand new indices and you're trying to obviously judge at the highest levels being a yes. judge for wdc and london gt and games workshop so with an entire game-wide reset right new core rules new missions new indexes new points new everything mm. where do you even start like there's got to be so many things that we haven't thought of so many things that GW hasn't thought of because you don't know what you don't know. You don't think of all the possible permutations that could theoretically exist until someone tries something and they're like, oh, I didn't think of that. Like you said, How yeah. do you actually identify and create a judging system with so little data and having it so fresh and having such a small timeline. So the, the timeline is really the biggest issue actually, because there's only so much you can read in a certain amount of time. And then you have to get some clarification from games workshop, and then you have to wait for a response and update and so on. In the meantime, working on other stuff, um, of course, what helped 
actually is that I'm also, because of my YouTube channel, under the NDA. So uh, for me personally, I can already write down rules interactions that don't work. So others would be like, oh my God, he has got the rules. He, he He's planning the next army list. He's, you know, preparing for the tournaments. Me on the other side, I'm like, oh, I got the rules early. I can point out the mistakes and make a document to fix everything, um, uh, which is pretty handy. So I had a couple of weeks of advanced um, fixing time, I would say. I, I wouldn't call it fixing because fixing means that Games Workshop did a lot of mistakes or did mistakes in general, which is fine, I guess. Um, and by any means, I don't want to sound like Games Workshop did a horrible job in, in any way. Um, but FAQs are necessary just to, I mean, it literally means frequently ask questions. So maybe the rule uh, that it refers to is really hidden in some case. So you just point it out again in maybe bolded letters um, and all of that kind of stuff. So where you actually start is by forget ninth edition. That is number one rule. Forget ninth edition and start reading a new game. Because imagine you're developing this 10th edition, and Games Workshop doesn't call it 10th edition, by the way. They call it next edition and current edition. Um, you you have to write the rules for someone who never played the game before. That's that's right. number one. So you have to I keep set saying Warhammer is still Warhammer to all yeah. the people I talk to, because I've been playing it for so long. But to yeah. brand new players, Warhammer is a new concept. You know, what is. Yes. So it's it's kind of hard to um, get that mindset running. Oh, okay, forget all everything that happened in ninth edition. You you couldn't move through models. This is a thing now. I have to get used to it. But uh, then you start to compare ninth edition and tenth edition, and it's like oh, I don't know, oh, left right. Um, as soon as you cleared your mind from ninth edition, which is not easy, it's way easier uh, to go through the rules, take down notes, go back, start over. Um, and then ask yourself the rules questions and try to figure them out. Like, if I would ask you right now, when are you eligible to shoot? Do you know the answer? Um, it's so, that I, this, I know the answer because I also had to ask this question. So, All yes, right. what makes a unit eligible to shoot? What a question. Yeah. So, so what does it? What does, oh, do you actually make the answer live on this podcast? I see. So a unit's <laughs> eligible to shoot when it is... Um, not advanced or charged or in close combat, or not advanced or not in close combat, unless it also has an assault weapon or a pistol weapon, which would give you the cause to do something in that yes, specific interest. That, that's actually correct. But Games Workshop wrote it in such a way, only in the movement phase, uh, in, uh, sorry, at the beginning of the shooting phase, they say a unit is eligible to shoot if it, A, did not fall back, or B, did not advance. So when you only read that portion, you're like, okay, I can not be eligible because I advanced. So if we come to mission secondaries, uh, ninth edition players will call them actions. There are no actions in the game anymore. They, they kind of work like actions. I sure call them actions. I know, everybody does. <laughs> so if I'm writing an FAQ, I cannot call it action. <laughs> you know, new players and stuff. Yeah. Um, there are mission secondaries. You have to do something like an action um, only if you're eligible to shoot. But the the thing is, eligible to shoot was in a shooting phase only by these two criteria. The eligibility for shooting in close combat 
is in the close combat, uh, like big guns never tire, mentions it as well. So you're eligible to shoot if you are a monster in close combat. So he can do an action in close combat. This is really weird. And now you take from there, you take many, many strings and, and create fake scenarios to try to really get to the bottom of when are you really eligible to shoot. And it isn't that easy question you can just say, oh, when this and this. Because there are so many cases where this is an exception to the rule, or that is an exception to the rule. Well, Explaining this, that to new players is ridiculously hard. Right. And this is one example of like the depth that Warhammer as a game creates. Because it's Absolutely. easy to just kind of look at it and be like, you have an army, it moves, it shoots, it punches. But then when you get into like all of the different other things, again, you don't know what you don't know, the actions, for an example. Um, it's really overwhelming. It creates these complicated, like, how do we do things? But then they also have overcomplicated a couple of issues as well and simplified things down in other words, like the fly keyword, as an example. Now fly moves in a different way. You have to measure the hypotenuse up a building, then the distance across the building, then the hypotenuse down the building, which is three individual measurements instead of just one easy measurement. And what happens if you want to skip one building in between as well? Do you go up, down, up, down, or True. do you go up and stay up and then go down? <laughs> yeah, you move horizontally through the air, I believe. Is the uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so whatever that means. And then there's things like the combat phase, which is seems simpler on the offset, right? Like you move into base contact, you move towards the closest model, you have to get in base contact or base of base to fight. It's just simpler all around. But when you get down to actually playing the game, you actually have to measure every single model a lot more carefully to make sure you're moving in legal manner. It's actually much more tedious. Mm -hmm. And then there's things like Overwatch, which I can, I'm sure only creates headache for you. Oof, one of the yeah. examples, um, one of my favorite examples actually happened to me in a playtest game with Quentin. We were just practicing a game, and I was playing Broken Eldar, of course. And actually, he was playing Demons. He was playing Broken Eldar. I'm not the bad guy. Oh, so okay. I had a unit of Flamers set up, and Quentin, um, and they were within 12 inches of a Farseer who was about to start his move, so if he moved, I could overwatch him. And then he had this unit of Warp Spiders. So he thought about moving his Warp Spiders into range of my Flamers, 12 inches, to shoot me. And I told him, if you do that, I'm just going to overwatch you and probably kill all your Warp Spiders. It's five-man. And... He was like, oh, okay, I won't do that. And he moves his warp spiders, like, somewhere else. And then he goes to move his farseer. So I'm like, okay, I'll overwatch your farseer. And then he's like, oh, well, okay. So I killed his farseer. He's like, well, if you're going to overwatch my farseer, though, I'll move my warp spiders to where I wanted, because you can't overwatch more than once. And I was like, well, I only overwatched your farseer after you moved your warp spiders over there. And sequencing has never been an issue either in 40K in the movement phase like that. There's just so many new places to have a rules conundrum or not even necessarily a how does this work conundrum but a a practical situation where someone may feel uneasy or it's not necessarily fun or a gotcha hammer type moment and all that is kind of created through the complications of oversimplification if that makes sense yes and uh how do you as a judge even approach that so in <clears throat> the interaction between the players, um, as it is, I don't actually interact with. Uh, I see the um, problematic situations where, like, moving a unit, asking, hey, you want to overwatch? No. Okay, next unit. You want to overwatch? No. Shut up. Okay. Um, or other players who just make the movements so fast that they uh, say, hey, hey, I wanted to overwatch that one. Oh, good, good. Uh, go for it. And then they take another unit they already moved and then put it in other places as your situation with Quentin. Um, 
And that, just to just to create a more practical one, what happens if because my situation with Quinn was, if nothing else, actually fairly cordial, fun, and we resolve the issue fairly and amicably, and I could very well see a tournament situation or actual yeah. game situation where someone, even through like ignorant muscle memory, no ill intent whatsoever, just moves a unit, you know, because forever you've been able to just move your absolutely, units. and then your opponent's like, oh, I wanted to Overwatch them before they move it, made a normal move. But we don't know where they were anymore. So how do we check if you're in range? You know, like, mm-hmm. where, how do you go back in time with 100% accuracy? Yeah, so you would all, always have to announce which unit you will be going to move now, which just isn't realistic. Um, but I don't want to tell that I'm better in game design or whatever, like not not in the closest. But for this game purpose, I would love to change Overwatch in the way that it can still be used in uh, the movement phase. Either only when the unit ends their move, or at the end of the movement phase. So the opponent knows, okay, at the end of the movement phase, you can, and, and I'm talking about the part of moving in the movement phase and not the reinforcement phase. Um, so your opponent knows, okay, I can move here, 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 and I can know you can overwatch over there, there, and there. That Then you create a scenario where you can play like a little bit of chess. Um, saying if I move my pawn over there, you can either choose to shoot it or try to get my horse over there. Uh, but you don't know what's in the mind of the opponent player. So it creates a little bit more tactical, but also simplified version of Overwatch as it is now. Um, but but again, I don't know all the um, interactions or rule interpretations that Games Workshop is going with. Um, but as you said, some rules are overcomplicated and some rules are oversimplified. Actually, yes. Yeah. Well, hopefully, I know they just released a designer's commentary to alleviate some of this clarification stuff. I'm not sure that it did that, but it definitely answered some yeah. questions. Um, hopefully, as the edition grows and evolves, um, it simplifies in the right places and adds some clarity in others to make it a little more playable. Definitely. So the rules commentary is something I really, really like because you can see it as a living document for rules and not an FAQ as we know it. So they can every day they could just add a line to it to immediately address a rules interaction that is not supposed to be. Um, And they don't have to dish out a whole FAQ for that. They can make a core rule change to its... I mean thinking of it, we always waited for these big FAQ waves. Um, The bigger they are, the longer they take, obviously. But breaking something in the game could be now in the glossary with one sentence. Hey, uh, you cannot do that and that and that. Oh, okay, cool. Then I also, I like it because it clarifies intent, right? There's been a whole discussion, rules written versus rules of intent, and like, how are we to ever know what Games Workshop rules designers intended? You know, it's purely speculative. Like but, Pink Horrors and their weapons, they don't have the Psycho keyword, but now they say, hey, you don't have to be a Psycho. Yeah. Or, you know, like back in the day, Wraith, you, you needed to draw a line of sight from your physical model's eyes, and Wraith units <laughs> have eyeballs, right? So, like, do Wraith guys just not get to shoot stuff, you know? Nope. Nope. That's the intent. Right. That's the intent. No shooting. So being the able to weapon. tell us that's great. Although, it would nerf the Wraith Knight, and I'm here for that. That's so, true. Calvin. 
I want to take this time kind of transition. Are you still playing this game competitively or is your life transitioned to judging this game competitively? <laughs> <laughs> so in January, um, I was playing at a 60-man tournament um, and I won that one. Um, I'm maybe... It's not every day you find a judge you can actually play. Thank you. <laughs> Just a... um, thank you very much. The <laughs> I was playing... Uh, at a friend's tournament, um, I, I promised him to come by uh, when I find the time. I really enjoyed it over there. It's called Steffen. Um, and I, because every tournament I attended was, was with sisters. I'm like, sisters only go for it. Finding out every tactic there is. And e even now in 10th, I'm finding so many shenanigans you could do. Like, don't tell Games Workshop, but you could kill your own models again, like you used to in 8th edition. Uh, by disembarking. Plasma pistols. You can, oh, disembarking. By about? disembarking. So you just play a rhino and St. Catherine and a Celestine and a couple of others and put them around the rhino and only have so much space to disembark nine out of ten retributors so you get the plus one to hit. Wow. Then you can just choose to get out and kill one of your own models. Well, you I, rules is written, yes, but I, well, <laughs> I, already, I already ruled in WTC you cannot do that. Uh -oh. <laughs> Now, now he's speculating. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, we don't want to have these uh, shenanigan interactions. But I'm still looking for that. Like using a plasma pistol and put down a miracle as a one so you die. Yeah. So after that, you have plus one to it. Um, I love these stuff. But I went to that tournament actually with Elder, Hail of Doom. I was I was also in, in uh, Goonhammer. That was, that was pretty nice. <laughs> nice. So a couple more questions before we head on over to part two. All uh, right. Which I'm really excited for because one of the things I've learned is if you spend enough time at the barber shop, you're bound to get a haircut. And what I mean by that is you surround yourself by all of the best players in Warhammer that you can possibly get your hands on, and especially with a different scene to what we said. Like I have my Art of War community, and I have a good beat on the American scene. But you're over in Germany hanging out with WTC players, so you got a different read on the meta, and the meta is so volatile right now. So. Yeah. I cannot wait for part two of this discussion where we're going to talk <laughs> about uh, what we think is good in this game, aside from Eldar, and how it all works together. Um, I'd be surprised, yeah. But before we get there, I got one more question for you, Calvin. What's the craziest rules interaction you've come up with or heard of in 10th edition? In 10th edition, the craziest one? Yeah. So obviously, obviously the most broken one was the uh, um, devastating wounds on Stoneguard. That, that's you don't that's want, not, wait, what, uh -huh. what do you mean? You don't want 70 mortal wounds on two pluses? Oh, you only went up to 70? We went over 90 and stuff. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not even trying. I, I just yeah, don't want to get the number every time, and the number's already egregious. Yeah, so every story, they, they increase, by the way. yeah. Next week, they add, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember the time where you could dish out 200 mortal wounds with one unit. So um, 11th edition, do you remember Stern Card? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, one of the craziest interactions... Um, do you mean by crazy? Uh, it's pretty open to interpretation. Uh, Give me a fun one over here. <laughs> so a fun one would be like if the, uh, I can't remember the name because I'm not really good with AdMac, but the guy, I think it's the Datasmith who joined Castellan Robots. Yeah, that's the Datasmith. It's the Datasmith. Um, he gives the unit infantry. So anti-infantry just kills Castellan Robots, which I think should be the case. 
Well, also, since it gives them infantry, I've heard stories of robots getting into Scorpius or robots Kool-Aid manning through walls. Just like, what are we doing? Yeah, because the so the thing with infantry is pretty easy to understand. If one model in your unit has a specific keyword, the unit has this the, this keyword, but not every model. And there are rules where the unit needs a keyword and there are rules where every model needs a keyword. For example, the easiest one is probably fly. Uh, so when you have a character with fly joining a non-flying unit, you still have to check model for model if the model can fly. But for example, uh, only the model with fly can then go across the hypnosis of the container. Or the others have to walk normally. But the other rules say anti-fly 2+. Plus. And your unit has fly. Not every model, but your unit has. Um, and that confuses a lot of players. Why is he giving me that keyword? And is can't this see now why it can use anybody, really. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, is, it is really insane. So I think the most powerful anti-keyword is anti-character out there. Yeah, giving... Oh, your unit has a character in it. Yeah. It's wounds against it. It doesn't, doesn't matter what it is. It's just anti-character. Let's go. The toughness doesn't become an issue anymore. Where I'm like, I don't know. Um, yeah. but um, So that's one of the crazy rules interactions. Um, also, <laughs> some of the stratagems, um, and you experienced it actually really, really, First roll, really hard, the guard one bringing back stuff. And uh, they bring back a unit of three sentinels if they want to. And the fun part is you copy an exact unit of that. It's a new unit, so the one used weapons also come with them, which clearly, oh, for me, clearly is not intent. But you don't know what Games Workshop is doing. So there are some interactions where I'm like, eh, I don't know. Um... But other than that, I think the core rules itself, they're really good. And they are like a diamond, um, just unfinished. They need a little bit more polish here and there. Like I would uh, like to have um, in the charge phase that every model has to go as close as possible or get rid of that one again, either way. But you can create so many examples where it's like, ah, I don't know if I can be in coherency after I move model three. So I'm going to create this weird yada yada. I don't have to come into base contact. Yeah. Um, There's yeah. so many ways you can actually manipulate the charge phase now. It's yeah. I think it's more gamey than before, to be honest, but in a bad way. Where it's yes. Kind of like yes. Actually in a bad way. It would it would be nice to just have the same rules as ninth for charging and uh, just add every model has to end up closer to the next model. So you can be seven inches away and end up being six inches away, but you cannot turn around and run to your home base objective because you forgot to put a model on there. It's a charge phase. You should get closer, not further away. I completely agree with that. Um, so I think with that, we can kind of wrap up our discussion for 10th edition and its rules. There's a lot of, like you said, I think you quoted it pretty well. It's a diamond that needs some polishing. It It's here. It's staying. You know, like all we yeah. can do is kind of refine it and work on it now. But it's, it's so refreshing to hear that you have a direct mind to Game Boss Workshop and you are, you know, bringing the issues to attention with them, at least from a technical side. Um, hopefully they've seen and proven to be very responsive in recent history. I expect and hope that they will continue that trend. And hopefully, sooner than later, we'll end up with a very, very pretty shiny diamond to play with. Oh, yeah. 
So, Calvin, thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. We'll be back in just a couple seconds over here over on part two, which listeners you can find on our Patreon, AOW40K.com. Again, it's $5.95 per month, and you're going to get access to part two of every single Art of War episode we've ever produced. Uh, there's tons, and as we get more and more into 10th edition, you best better believe we're going to be talking about what's good, what's bad, what's ugly, and how it all works, breaking it down for you. In this week's specific part two, Calvin and I are going to talk about what we think the meta is going to be with uh, you know my 20-plus years of playing this game along with um, expertise going to tournaments and Calvin's different perspective from the German side of things. I think we're going to have a really back and forth, interesting discussion about what's good and what we expect to do well, or maybe some things that Calvin's considered that I haven't or vice versa. And hopefully we'll, we'll broaden our perspectives a little bit. So if you're interested in getting, being a fly on the wall for that conversation, check out AOW40K.com. Calvin, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thanks so Thank much. Thank you. Vice versa. See, see you later, everybody. Bye. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com.